Sorry, I love that last song. <laughs> um, my name's Doug. I love working here, love preaching, uh, love the Word of God, love the hope that it brings. I hope you came here with the same expectation and joy this morning to find out that there's something for you individually this morning, that there's something for us here collectively as a body that God wants us to hear, and not just hear, but to put into practice. And so to do that, we just need to surrender. So um, if you would... Uh, just join me in your hearts, and let's just take a moment here, and let's just ask the Spirit to be among us, and that He would soften our hearts and tune our ears to the words He wants to speak this morning. God, You are faithful. More than we can even imagine. And so this morning, we just want to surrender Whatever it is that we brought in here, whatever load that sits on our shoulders, whatever uh, thought that we're carrying, whatever condemnation we're living under, whatever judgment that we are somehow receiving, and we want to release that to you. Jesus, you did the work that has made us righteous in the eyes of the Father. You've given us free and right and perfect and secure standing in you. Thank you. So open our hearts now to hear from you. Amen. All right, so last week we started a series called The Body. And we're looking at three different aspects. The first one would be on covenant, which is really what makes the idea of the body possible. There's, there's no idea of the church, which is not just a building, right? We've had this rush to get back in this building, but let's be very clear. This is an edifice. This is just a building. You are the church, okay? The church is a gathered, called out, specific use and purpose by God. So we don't ever want to get that confused and think that somehow we've arrived if we've made it here. We are the church as a people collectively. And so Micah did a great job helping us to understand last week that the idea of the body is first made possible by covenant. Because God never breaks his promises. And his covenant to us is perfect and lasting and secure. And so this week we're going to be looking at commitment. What does commitment to a body look like? And then next week, we're actually going to take a one-week hiatus uh, before we dive into contentment, which will be on the 19th, and Rick will be preaching that message next week um, in, in maybe a swift move of God's providence. Todd will actually just be here, so he'll preach next week. You can be praying for Todd as he prepares. He'll be preaching out of Luke chapter 5 next week on the three calls of Jesus. But we are the church. We're gathered uh, to display the love of God to those around us, to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to those we work with, to those that we are in contact with on a regular basis. But before we turn our Bibles uh, to, to Romans 12, we'll be, I think it's page 947 in your pew Bible if you want to grab that. But while you're going there, turning your Bibles on, whatever you do, let me just do this. While you guys are just kind of sitting in your little groups there, um, talk amongst yourselves for a minute, and then I'll let you, I love dialogical, like back and forth. So what I want you to do is talk about what is commitment? And then once you guys have an answer, just go ahead and shout it out. I really don't have a great order in my classroom, so go ahead and uh, toss out what is commitment? You can confer amongst yourselves. Yeah. 
if you don't confer and you avoid eye contact, I'm going to like totally call on you. Like I'll look right at Judson Manningham and I'm going to be like, Judson, I'm going to need an answer. But I won't do that to you, Judd, okay? So, what? Mar- marriage. Yes, that is commitment. <laughs> Anybody else? Being all in. How many uh, athletes do we have in the room? Raise your hands. Like you're, you currently or you have played a sport in the past. How many of you ever have gotten the commitment talk from your coach? Right? What, is, what does the commitment talk always include? What are, some, what are some things you hear over and over from a good coach? 110%, which I find mathematically impossible. But there's no I in team. But there is a me. Anybody else? Trust the system. I love that. Yeah. According to Oxford's dictionary, commitment is this idea of being able to stay with or support a person or an organization. Just let that sink in for a moment. We're talking about commitment to a body. Specifically this body, this local outpost of God's kingdom. You have to understand that God's kingdom is vast, right? So God's kingdom is all over the entire world. And then he sets up little outposts. Northfield Christian Fellowship, Northwoods Community Church, Tremont Baptist Church, Harvest Bible Chapel. Whatever it may be, he sets up all these little outposts. We are not in competition with one another, right? The idea is that we are people who are displaying in our specific the glory and wonder of God. Isn't that awesome? That's like what our job description is. Just put on display a merciful, loving Savior. And so I thought, well, before we really dive into commitment, maybe we should hear a few excuses. These are actual excuses for how and why people couldn't make commitment to work. Right? So these are people who are late to work, and these are the excuses they gave, saying, I can't commit to being on time. I stopped to rescue a duck that had been hit by a car. Sadly, the poor creature expired on my lap while I was sent to various rescue agencies to get it some help. Couldn't make the commitment. It was too much. This is my personal favorite. There was a scorpion in the bast in my bare foot while I was on the throne. I restrained it with a glass and then released it once priorities were handled. I also got a vitamin pill stuck in my throat that day. It stayed stuck for two hours while I drooled into a cup, all while teaching a class from the back of the room to avoid even more embarrassment. Or how about this one? I was actually late this morning because I had to check on my new baby goats. I had trouble finding a mother and her daughter who were born this past Sunday. These are reasons why commitment is hard, right? We're, we're all in. We are on time. We are people who are prepared. We're trusting the system. But these people didn't quite get it. How about those uh, probably a little bit more close to home when it comes to committing to relationships, right? Committing to work, everybody has extenuating circumstances that happen, things that you can't make good on just because of some stuff that's happened. But what about this? These are actual reasons given for not being able to commit to a relationship. It was four days before my birthday, and she said she was going to get me a gift. I knew I couldn't break up with her for at least 30 days after accepting her gift, and I wasn't willing to make a 34-day commitment. There you have it. I looked at him, really looked at him from a distance, and I realized that his head was just way too big for his body. He had to go. 
This is one of my favorites. She wore the same deodorant as my mother. <laughs> well, I want you to consider this one as we begin to dive in. Think of a fork. She held her fork overhanded, as in the shovel technique. You can't take someone like that anywhere. <laughs> okay, think of it just for a moment. All these are little peculiarities. They all highlight a, a flipped and self-central focus. It's all about me. It was inconvenient for me to wait 34 days because she was going to give me, it was it. This person's head was too big for their body. This person held their fork wrong. This person, who knows? It's, it's the flip. It's what commitment then doesn't really look like. So today I want to talk about uh, probably three different things with commitment. Priority, humility, and diversity. And every time you eat a meal, I want you to look at the fork. And I want you to think, overhanded. Can I love someone who holds their fork overhanded? In Romans chapter 12, if you would humor me for just a moment and rise to your feet as we honor the word of God, its authority over our lives. And let's um, read. So perhaps... Uh, I don't think it's up on the screen, no worries. You guys can just, if you want to, just close your eyes, just take it in. This is the word of God spoken as truth and promise over you. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according of faith, God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So, though many, we are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, and the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. God bless the reading of your word. In your name we pray. Have a seat. So the first thing we want to look at then is the priority of commitment. Well, we learn that Jesus pursued us, right? God in his sovereign wisdom sent Jesus to earn the sacrifice that made it possible for us to be together with him forever. So it would only make sense that the priority in all relationships, the priority in commitment has to first be to God and then it would blow out from there. Things would shift from there. So if you look at Matthew 22, 37 through 40, there's a great commandment, the great, just this idea of like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And the second commandment is like it, love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. So the order is critical here. Notice how he doesn't say, love your neighbor as yourself, and then add, oh, and by the way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus personally and, and, and powerfully and practically put your neighbor after him. Well, he would do that because if he puts your neighbor before him, then any other person can become an idol that you worship. 
Like, I really need Don Flutter's approval, and so I'm going to, to care for him and love him and, and be a good friend to him just because I know that, like, in this church, he's got a lot of influence, and I want to make sure that when he speaks of me, he's going to speak well of me, and so I bend over backwards, and I get all nervous, and I'm full of anxiety when I'm around him because am I pleasing him? Am I? This is one of the reasons why he says that we have to love God first before we love others because it's God who properly orders our affections. If I don't love God rightly, I'll never love you correctly. If I don't love God rightly, I'll always be stumped on how to best serve the person that's in front of me. And quite honestly, it leads to to idolatry or to religion. Religion is just any practice that you engage in that's more about you than it is about relationship and intimacy with the Father. So that's the order or the priority that we see for commitment played out in the first two verses when Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And then he says this oxymoron, a living sacrifice, a living dead thing, which is pretty interesting. Most of us really don't give much thought to it. But consider this. There's one commentator who said, uh, whereas the world is prone to sacrifice in order to obtain or to get mercy, Christian faith, biblical faith, teaches that God's mercy provides the basis for our sacrifice. So the the big idea, the thing we want to walk away with today, more than anything, it's probably in your notes, it's been up on the screen already, but commitment to the body is a infused sacrificial lifestyle. Um, Raise your hand if you're a parent or a soon-to-be parent, right? If, If you are a parent, Have you ever been inconvenienced by your child? Honest answer. Do they ever get sick when you're full of energy and you're well-rested? Do they ever need money when you have some in your wallet? Do they ever go to bed when they're supposed to? Kids are an inconvenience. And so this idea of, of sacrifice, it has to be infused with mercy. We have to remember what God has done for us, otherwise we're not going to people correctly. You see, we love him in response to his mercy. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's referring to everything that happened in chapters 1 through 11. You're like, okay, well, well maybe a quick summary. Okay, I'll give you nine bullet points. Okay, number one, justification from the, the guilt and penalty of sin. I have been made right with God by Jesus, his death and sacrifice on the cross. I've been adopted by Jesus and identified with him into the family of God. Number three, I've been placed under grace, not law. Number four, I've been given the Holy Spirit to live within. Number five, I have the promise of help in affliction. Number have assurance of my salvation. Number seven, I have confidence of a coming hope and glory. Number eight, I have confidence that there is nothing that separates me from the love of God. And number nine, I have confidence of God's continued faithfulness. These are the things that Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by justification, adoption, grace, the Holy Spirit, help and affliction, assurance, confidence. I appeal to you by that. Die. Die to yourself and live for the glory of God and the good of the next person. That's how you get to this understanding of priority in relationship. You say, well, I don't know, I, 
I'm sure it's easy to miss that. And you would be right. A couple of biblical examples that I could point to that, I, that jump off the page at me would be in Luke chapter 18 when the Pharisee and the tax collector come to pray. What's the first words out of the Pharisee's mouth? While looking straight down at the person behind him, he says, thank God that I'm not like this man. Wow. There's absolutely zero commitment and correct priority to the body in that sort of a prayer. But probably the most glaring one is the entire book of Jonah, which really isn't about the prophecy to the people of Nineveh. It's all about how Jonah can't handle God displaying mercy to people he thinks shouldn't get it. And you see that play out. Jonah chapter 4, the people of Nineveh repent. Jonah goes out and basically whines to God in the desert. God provides shade. Jonah gets upset. And God asks him one question. Do you do well to be angry? Just gather yourself for a moment and think, if you're sitting there in a perfectly desolate place and God looks directly at you and speaks the words, do you do well to be angry, it's not going to be a good day for you, right? That's a rough patch. And it's all because he missed it. He, he minded that being shown to somebody else. He wasn't mindful of the fact that mercy had already been shown to him. I mean, he had like a free hotel, hotel stay in a, in a large fish, three days, should have been dead. God in his providence saves him, and he's like, these people. It's like, dude, it's only been a couple of days. How could you forget so quickly? So truth to life, do do you really view commitment to the body, specifically to this body, do do you view it as worship and spiritual transformation? And and let me go maybe a step further. Transformation that you desperately need. Guess what? You put a man on an island. Who does he think of? Himself. This is why we need the body. I need to have those rough edges sharp, uh, shaved off me. I need, to ha- I need to bump up against other people and get in conflicts. I need to have a fight with someone once in a while so that way I can be reconciled to them and I can learn what it means to say the depth of my relationship and my commitment to you is not only surface level. It's deeper than that. Like, if you offend me, guess what? I can still be your friend. If you talk behind my back and we can work it out, right? But what happens when those things occur? I learned I'm never going to trust them again. Okay, be a child. No, work through it. This is what commitment to the body looks like. It's huge. So there's a priority there. I'm pursuing God first so that way I can love you right. How about this? Commitments, humility. So we have commitments, priority. Now we're moving into commitments, Humility, you see it in verse 3 where it says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you among you, or everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And he goes on to highlight this idea of humility. And the idea here is just, you, you can't serve others well if you think you're superior to them. You're like, well, I don't do that. Let me help you understand how you do, because I do it all the time. And every one of us is guilty in this way. Have you ever been in a relationship where somebody has wronged you? Somebody has done something against you. And and you are waiting for them to apologize. Waiting for them to correct. Waiting for them to reconcile. And in the back of your mind, 
Maybe you've never said it out loud to somebody else, but you've had this thought, I would never do something like that. Right? I would never say something like that to my friend. I would never treat my brother like that. I would never treat my mom like that. I wouldn't, really? Yeah, you would. And yeah, you did. (laughs) That's the whole point of, I need mercy because I'm going to do that again. And and if we don't have a mercy-infused sacrificial lifestyle, I'm not going to love you well. And it requires humility. I love the way the the New Living Translation words, verse 3, it says this, because of the privilege and authority God has given me. This is Paul speaking now as an apostle to these church members. He says, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Wow. Do you know that there's different measures of faith that God has given you? Somebody next to you who's doing something amazing in the kingdom and you would be tempted to compare yourself with that person. My goodness, look at this person. They step out in faith and they do big things and they, 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 they travel and they, whatever. They translate the Bible in a whole other country, right? I could never do something like that. As though somehow me working at Pinkies and sharing the gospel with my coworker is somehow less good than translating the Bible in another language, in another country, right? Is there, is there any sort of gradation in God's economy over which one is more valuable to his kingdom? The answer is no. And so it becomes really important for us to understand a humble... You see this in, in Philippians 2. I'm not going to uh, read it just for sake of time. But he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others as more important than yourselves. And then he goes on to talk about how you need to have the attitude of Christ. Well, consider for just a minute those three phrases, selfish ambition and conceit and own interests. Those phrases that are so powerful in Philippians chapter 2. Selfish, this is, we're looking at the example of Jesus, right? Jesus came and in total subjection and surrender to his father said, I'm going to do what you want. Even when there's pain involved, even when there's rejection involved, I'm going to do what you want, God. And listen to these three descriptors and think, did you ever see this in the life of Jesus? Selfish ambition. That's the desire to put myself forward. You know what I'm talking about. Where somehow every conversation circles around to what you accomplished and to how you're a good fit for it, or to we think like this. Or conceit. Conceit is empty pride in self or abilities. I don't, I don't recall seeing that in Jesus. Or how about own interests? Being bent in on my own wants. That kills commitment to the body. If I am on my own wants, now notice. I'm not saying don't have wants. In fact, Paul doesn't even say that in Philippians 2. He says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why? Because there are interests that if I take them and I, and I prioritize them correctly in my own life, that I'll actually be able to love you better. If I serve you to the detriment of my health, if I stay up late and get up early and I never get the proper rest, all because I need to be a servant to you, that should not be highlighted as virtuous. I should be able to get the proper rest. I should be able to be emotionally and spiritually healthy in order to serve you. I shouldn't fall on the sword every time service is an opportunity. And so there's a big thing here that we want to grasp 
Like, how do we live in this place? But we have a few strikes against us. Um, Simon Sinek, a, a British-American consulting, uh, consultant and author, identified four obstacles that people have when it comes to commitment. So the first one was parenting, especially in the generation raised from 1980 on. They were told, um, you could have anything you want. You're awesome. You get a blue ribbon too, even though you got last place, right? And they're, and they're built up. They can have whatever they want. Now think about what that really does. Do you think that nurture actually helps community? Do you think it actually helps sacrifice? That sort of constant diet, do you think that actually makes me go, yeah, I want to sacrificially serve my neighbor? Or am I going to be more like, nah, it's really kind of inconvenient. The second one he talked about was technology. We've become so uh, glued to this dopamine fix that is our smartphone. I think Brady mentioned it a couple of uh, weeks ago, but... um, Hundreds of times we do this number each day. Pick up our phone and look at it. Pick up our phone and look at it. And there's a notification there that says, oh, somebody liked the picture you posted on Facebook or Instagram. Oh, man, that's awesome. Oh, I wonder what they said. I wonder what... It's like, but then what happens when you pick it up and it's not there? No notification. No reminder that you're awesome. Then what? I don't know if I like this body. These people really don't... Serve me the way that I need to be served. Well, you would never say that out loud, but it comes out. Third thing he talked about was how those two things create an impatience in us. We're coming up to a stoplight, and there's three lanes. And we're looking, which one has the fewest cars in it? i got to get there fast. If our order at a restaurant, if we ever get to eat at those again, comes out too long and waiting... Oh, horrible service. I'm going to on Yelp and I'm going to give them a horrible review on Google. I'm it, right? This is ridiculous. Worst service ever. We're impatient. How about environment? Anybody who just looks around, walk into a, to any sort of an area where there's a number of people and how many of them are going to be looking at their phones instead of the person next to them? How many of them will be taking the time to actually set down their screen and have a real-life human flesh contact (laughs) informational transfer communication? How many would do that? It's the environment in which we live. This is now the new normal. And so all this parenting and technology and impatience and the environment in which we live do violence to our soul and help it so that we can't love well unless we make some intentional choices we got to make some intentional choices. And that requires humility. So you might be like, well, what solves this? Jesus does. Not to be trite, not to give the Sunday school answer, but Jesus does. Paul tells us that by the grace given me and with the faith that God has assigned, only then can I have a right view of myself, which leads to humble service. And so maybe this is a good question. Where has selfish ambition or conceit or my own interests, my ability to love my neighbor. And your neighbor can be defined as the sister that you share a room with, the spouse that you're married to, the guy who has a cubicle next to you, your neighbor.
And is there someone to whom I need to seek or grant forgiveness? Have you thought about that recently? That's not something we like to do. Um, We don't mind if someone says, hey, would you please forgive me for something they did to me? That actually feels quite good. Have you ever been in a humble position where you have to go actually pursue the individual that you wronged? Maybe you talked behind someone's back, violence to the body. Maybe you did that, and then you have to go own that. Maybe you need to go back to the person who you never had permission to share information with in the first place, and you need to say, you know what? I wasn't supposed to say what I said. I'm sorry. I could see how right now you would be justified to be upset with me, rightly so. Did you forgive me? You didn't say I'm telling you this in confidence, but that's assumed. A good, fresh, a good friend keeps confidence, right? That requires humility. And it gets back to uh, something Timothy Keller says that I absolutely love. He says, you can remain bitter towards somebody if you feel superior. If you are sure, you would never do that to anyone else. Is there someone that you're bitter toward? That's between you and the Lord. So commitment to the body is a mercy-infused, sacrificial lifestyle. We're talking about priority, humility, and now finally, commitments, diversity. You see this in verses 4 through 8. It talks about one body having many members, and the members don't all have the same function, but it still comes together as one. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all the verses. I'll, I'll just pick a couple of them. But in verse 4, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Okay, well, that's good. One and many with different functions. Can I just say that we celebrate that? We celebrate the fact that not everybody is a teacher or a preacher. We celebrate the fact that not everybody is a worship leader. We celebrate the fact that not everybody is a greeter. And let's just get away from the formal uh, ministry of the church building and let's just say we celebrate the fact that not everybody is gifted at hospitality. There are some people who can open up their home and as well as friends can feel welcome. That's a gifting. Scripture's pretty clear about that. We celebrate that. Last time I checked in in Revelation 7, it's going to be a diverse crowd around the throne of God. It is. It's not going to be um, white, middle-class America. I'm sorry. I, I hate to burst your bubble, and maybe this actually enlarges your bubble, but that's a good thing. It's going to be very diverse, different languages, different colors of pigment of skin, and it's going to be awesome. Why? Because the focus isn't you, and the focus isn't me. Who's the focus? Jesus, the focus is who we live for. And so the diversity around the throne is something that we celebrate. It's not something that we get hung up on. So that means by way of practice, our body ought to be good at celebrating diversity in a good way. In verse 5, he says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So it's just that great picture that only Christ unifies. Could anything be more timely? Like if you look just at the racial tension that we have currently circulating in culture, what's the answer? 
not a policy, not a statement. Those things are helpful by way of direction and form. The ultimate answer, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who makes enemies friends and makes the orphan a son or daughter. That's the answer. Now, think about a church that lives that way, inside and out, Monday to Sunday, if that's all right, yeah. All the time, we live that way. We celebrate diversity that God gives and the gifting that he provides. And we're like, yes, it's only because of Jesus that we can be unified. I love how Ephesians 2, 11 through 16 talks about it. Uh, there's a phrase there that says that he broke down the dividing wall of hostility. There's always going to be something without Jesus that will to somebody else who's different. And then verse 6 says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he goes in to list the gifts of prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leadership, mercy. So I just want to say this again, very similar to verse 4. And maybe this is helpful for some of us to hear. If you are gifted differently than me, and because you're here, you are, right? God has a very wide array of gifts. If you're differently, differently than me, you are not a threat to me. Think about that. If you are not a threat to me because of your gifting, I look at you as an asset to my growth. I look at you as helping to complete something in me that is lacking. Think of the commitment that that gives to the body. If I can begin to understand that I celebrate the diversity of gifts that God gives, and then I can look at someone who does something differently than me, but better, and I can be like, yes. Yes, Lord, thank you. Thank you that we have someone who, you know, I just in my situation, someone who leads worship, right? You don't want me up here doing that. Nobody does. We'd be the opposite of worship. It'd be bad. But, but at the end of the day, I can't tell you how thankful I am for people who can play instruments skillfully and can sing on pitch and on cue. And like, I can't do that. I've tried. It doesn't work. And, and I look at that and I think, why am I walking up on the stage in tears? I'm walking up on the stage in tears because I've met with God, not because I think that Katie is awesome. She's great. God bless her. Thank you for giving her to our church. But I walk up here because of she's a conduit for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to my heart. So, Di, I want you to come up for a second and just kind of do something just a little bit different here. First, I want to remind you, as, as Matt said, that when we wrap up, I'll, I'll close this in prayer, but ushers are going to dismiss us. Um, but one of the things that's been unique about this whole virus thing is that it has slowed us down, right? Um, our schedules aren't as full. And maybe they're starting to fill back up a little bit, but they're not as full. And so that gives us a little bit more time to process. And so here's what I want to do for just a minute or two while Dai is just kind of playing a little bit of soft music in the background. I want to give you guys some time to just process. Not with the person next to you, but with you and the Lord. And I want you to be asking some of these questions of the Lord. What do I hear you saying to me through the message today, God? Is there something that you're asking me to do, obedience-wise? Is there someone you're asking me to approach or to talk to? 
Or are you just asking me to receive something? Maybe I just haven't received your mercy well. Maybe I just have, like it's really hard for me for you to just bless me. And I, you know, right now, take the opportunity to do that. So we're just going to take a moment to do those types of things. If there's something else on your heart, you can obviously, the Lord can handle it, trust me. Um, You can obviously approach him however you want, but we're going to take just a moment or two to have some silence and and learn. Father, we realize that commitment to the body is mercy-infused, sacrificial living. We can't accomplish it on our own. We must keep in mind the mercy that you've shown us. So as we depart here, Spirit, speak to us on those things that we need to hear. Encourage our hearts. Challenge us. Humble us. Ultimately, so that you get much glory and your kingdom expands. We love you, and we go in your grace and peace. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, ushers will be through to dismiss you guys.